Thank you for tuning in to the Meridian Friends Church podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss any of the sermons posted each week. You can also find more information about our church at www.meridianfriends.org or on Facebook or Instagram by searching Meridian Friends Church. Now, enjoy the sermon. Good morning, church family. I am so glad you're here. I know there are some in the fellowship hall worshiping with us. There are some in Donnelly today at family camp who are busy worshiping uh, right now as well. They're gathered and worshiping. And there are those online who are at home or other places that are worshiping. And we are so glad that you are joining us here today. I know what some of you are thinking that didn't volunteer for Vacation Bible School. If only I had been a crew leader or a teacher, I could come up and do all the hand motions and sing in front of all of you. I know that's what you're thinking, right? I'm so grateful for all of you. And I'm thankful for dignified, intelligent, educated adults who are willing to act like kids. (laughs) In a good way right? Jesus said, if you don't become like a child, and that's different than becoming childlike, but if you don't become like a child, if you're not humble and joyful, we won't, we won't get it. <laughs> we'll miss it. And I'm thankful for all of you. We sang some hymns today. Did you notice? This has felt like in more than one way an old home week uh, for some of us. Uh, we have some out-of-state guests who are here, um, but they're no guests at all. They're right here at home. Um, Bill and Kay Rourke are here, and Steve and Judy McGee are over here, and they got here early so they could take your back rows. There they are. So they're kind of in not in the regular place I'd expect to preach to them, but um, how delightful to have you here, and they represent so, so, so many decades of faithful service to our church. Uh, we're glad you're home. We're glad you're here today. Um, Lillian's running around here too, somewhere. Uh, I saw her earlier, and um, just thinking about that, Kay and Lillian were two of Meridian Friends Charter members 59 years ago, 59 plus years ago. We'll turn 60 uh, coming up here. And just been thinking all morning as I saw them walk in, as, as I thought about getting up in front of you and singing VBS songs. <laughs> Uh, the teamwork of this week, that I'm grateful to belong. I don't just believe, but I belong. And I'm grateful to belong to you, grateful to belong to other people. I think so many have given up on the whole idea of church, uh, the whole idea of authentic community. It's hard, it's difficult, it's hard work, um, but I believe in it, and I'm grateful that God puts together the miracle of a church family because the truth is, man, you and I are different from each other. We have different ideas, different backgrounds, different tastes, different likes, different ages, different preferences, but we are united, I believe, in Jesus Christ, and that's what really matters. With that, I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. I'm continuing a series on Philippians, and wouldn't you know it, Paul brings up something about conflict. In the midst of a book about joy, Paul singles out two individuals in the church 
who aren't getting along with each other. And as I read it, I think about how terrifying that must have been for those two individuals to hear their names. This was most probably a letter that was read in assembly uh, to the church at Philippi <laughs> because, you know, they didn't just have a photocopier or email. And so in a public hearing, Paul calls out this issue of conflict. You may have heard about the Christian who was stranded on a desert island for many months entirely alone. Eventually, a passing-by ship picks him up. And as they're leaving, the captain asks, what are those three huts on your island? And he points to the first hut, and he says, well, that's my home. He points to the second hut and says, that's my church. And the captain says, well, what's the third hut? And he says, well, that's a church I used to go to. I know that's an old joke, but here's a recent comment that I read this week that I want us to bring to this reading of Scripture. According to several church mediation specialists, it's something there has to be such a thing as a mediation specialist for churches, but there is. Churches are more vulnerable to conflict than any other group, community, or organization. I just want you to think about that, that you know, really, the deeper our relationships, the more special they are, the more invested we are. I think the more vulnerable we are because they really mean something to us. So you may not expect Paul to address anything about conflict in a book about joy, but isn't it true that when things aren't right in your relationship with the people that you love, things just aren't right? Would you stand with me as you're able? I invite us to hear some really familiar words from Philippians, maybe in a different light. I want to invite you to read these really familiar words with me in context as an instruction for conflict. Therefore, Paul's been talking about looking forward to heaven, right? Finishing, turning our back on the past and not making the things of this earth, following our stomach, our God, right? We talked about that last, last week. Therefore, since... We're looking forward to heaven. Therefore, since we've been redeemed by Christ and we're looking forward to a great reconciliation, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord this way, dear Philippian friends, dear Meridian friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Doesn't, doesn't Paul just frame that, the scope of eternity for heaven's sake? <laughs> help them out. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. You see the connection there? Get along with each other, rejoice in the Lord. What I'm saying is, be gentle. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent 
or praiseworthy. Think about such things. Whatever you've heard or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And may the God of peace be with us in our relationships as well. Amen? Amen. Please be seated. So there he goes. Paul talks about conflict, and he talks about it really openly and by name. And you might wonder, why would he do that? Doesn't he know the principle, correct and private, and give compliments in public? I think, it's my assumption, that the conflict between these two people doesn't just impact two people. It impacts everybody. Isn't that true in your family? If there's two people that aren't getting along really well and they're not reconciling or resolving or working on that or forgiving, if there's bitterness, if there's anger, it, it really doesn't just stay with those two individuals. <laughs> it's a family matter. It, it's something that harms the sense of joy, the sense of rejoicing, the sense of, of productivity, really, of the whole group. It's true in offices. <laughs> It, it's true in churches. And maybe churches are a little more vulnerable than other organizations. I mean, we want to be all about grace because we understand Jesus and that he nailed our sins to the cross and, and we're forgiven as we repent, as we come to him. We, that's all true. But also in church, don't we have higher expectations for each other? I think we're more likely to be a little critical of each other in church because, after all, if it's the neighborhood association, well, everybody's got one of those neighbors, right? If it's, I don't know, an office situation or a coworker or something else, in some ways, I think we sometimes extend a little more grace outside of our families than we do inside of our families. We think you ought to know better. And don't we know how important the church is and I come to church as a sanctuary from all of the conflict and difficulty and pain in the world. And so in some ways, I think we're even more sensitive to these things. Well, you know, I was overlooked for this ministry or, oh, the children's department, they left a mess in the kitchen or just whatever it is, these things that we think we, we've got a higher standard within the church, we don't often remember how fallen each one of us truly is. Wouldn't you agree? Would you nudge your neighbor and tell them you are flawed? <laughs> Doesn't that feel good? Doesn't that feel a little better? Can't we all take a deep breath of grace? Can't we all be grateful for heaven's sake that we're forgiven? But what's more, in Jesus, I think we're really called to work on this stuff. I preached a whole series on reconciliation, not just forgiveness, a whole series on forgiveness and a whole series on reconciliation. You could probably find it online somewhere, but it, it's just important, and, it, and it's everywhere in the Scripture. What I just read from Philippians 4 
you know that these are really popular verses, don't you? You know, if anything's excellent, praiseworthy. These are things we really like to quote. We like to put in front of us and memorize and think about. I'm challenging you to consider what it would look like to take these familiar verses and apply them to a situation of conflict that you may be in. Because I think, in a certain way, definitely, that, that's what Paul was doing with dear Euodia and dear Syntyche. I know that there's a few babies in attendance with us here today, and I noticed that none of the moms named their babies Euodia or Syntyche. And somehow I thought the biblical names were a popular thing. So, you know, just for future reference, if you want to put that on the baby book ideas. Or maybe you don't, because you know these are bad examples. Am I right? Bad examples. Philippians 2, Jacob preached a few weeks ago about Timothy and Epaphroditus, good examples. Here, Paul talks about bad examples. And what I want you to see is, as Paul calls them to be of the same mind as each other, that this isn't the only place that Paul's concerned in Philippians about unity. If you recognize those words, be of the same mind, they came from Philippians 2.2. He's already said it. He set them up for it. All along, he's saying rejoice, 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 and rejoice. And part of that means that we need to stand firm in our faith. And part of what it means to stand firm in our faith is simply to be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, being of one mind. No selfish ambition or conceit here. There's no room for it in Christ. Paul says something really specific in chapter 2, verse 14. So it's not just in chapter 4 when he says, finally, and I want you to hold on to this and, and do all these good things, like, you know, think, think about the good stuff. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. That was a fun sermon, wasn't it? I didn't hear anybody complain about that sermon. So that you may be blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Paul puts a lot of weight on our unity together as a church. And Jesus said, they're going to know we're Christians by our love. That's a witness to others. And I do think that we need to work on this stuff with the people we are closest to first. I, I like to say, if it doesn't work at home, don't export it, right? And this needs to work at home, friends. We really need to pay attention to one another. We need to pay attention to good conversations, reconciliation, hard work of forgiveness and not carrying bitterness because it's not easy for any of us. All good? Well, here are six words that I see from Philippians uh, chapter 4 about conflict. These are ingredients, if you will, of a recipe for harmony in the church. Harmony in marriages, harmony in parental relationships. One, resolve to make peace. What I want you to notice about the language here that's used in Philippians 4 is that Paul is absolutizing the terms of peace. What do I mean by that? Notice these words. Rejoice in the word, in, in the Lord, absolutely always. Let your gentleness be evident to absolutely all. Oh, that's a tough one. Do you think of yourself as a gentle person? <laughs> Deep breaths everywhere. <laughs> I'm afraid to answer. <laughs> Do you think of yourself as a gentle person? Would the person you're in conflict say that you're a gentle person? That's what Paul's saying. Not would you say you're a gentle person. 
not with the people you enjoy hanging out with, say you're a gentle person, with the person that you have unresolved conflict with, would the syntiki in your life say that you are a gentle person, Yodia? He's saying, let your gentleness be evident to absolutely all, and that includes Yodia. Don't be anxious about absolutely anything. Doesn't Paul use big terms like don't grumble about anything? It's just, these are absolute terms, and these are the absolute terms of peace. But in everything and whatever you've learned or received from me, put it into practice. He's absolutizing the terms of peace, and that's opposite of what we tend to do in arguments. We absolutize the terms of war, and it sounds like this. You always do that. You never do this. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> and, and I think Paul is helping us to understand that the first step in terms of conflict resolution is that, is that we need to understand that, that it takes effort, that it takes resolution, that it takes determination, that it takes willingness on our part to try Really what I'm describing is unconditional love. This is just for free. This is not on your outlines. Don't be confused. But there are three kinds of love when it comes to you and your relationships with other people. One kind of love is I'll love you if. We all know about that, right? I'll love you if you love me. I'll love you if you please me. I'll love you if you'll be cool, if you'll provide me with maybe a certain financial gain or a status, or you do the things I want you to do them. The problem with I love you if certainly is, what if the if changes, right? A lot of people get married on I'll love you if. Am I right? The if changes and the relationship is over. Conditional love doesn't last. Second kind of love, I'll love you because. This is a little bit better, but not much. I'll love you because you're good looking. I'll love you because you're talented. You're a great person. You do things for me. I hope the people in your life are these things or that you're doing something for me. But what happens when someone else comes along who matches the qualifications a little better than the other person? Somebody who's smarter, somebody who's prettier, somebody who's handsomer, somebody who's wealthier or pays more attention to you, the relationship begins to die. The third kind of love, and I think this is the love Paul is calling for, says, I love you, period. It's a love really that focuses on giving more than receiving. And that, that's hard for us. Can we just say that? I asked my wife about that this morning. I said, Teresa, if a guy walked into church today that had the body of Sylvester Stallone, the humor of Woody Allen, and the financial portfolio of Bill Gates, would you still love me? And she says, yes, I would. I mean, is that great news or what? I'm lovable in spite of myself. You're lovable in spite of yourself. Even if you have the body of Woody Allen, the charm of Sylvester Stallone, and the humor of Bill Gates. (laughs) 
I think about this with regard to churches, not just like marriages. Some churches look more like Exhibit A than Exhibit B, don't they? <laughs> and we live in an interesting culture that compares churches. And I've been thinking a lot about this lately since we did our vision day. And, you know, we talk about how we may want to change as a church and look forward and accomplish what we believe God's given us as a mission. I'm going to talk about this at 11 o'clock in the Emmaus Hall, if you'd care to join me. Most of all, I'm going to devote some time to prayer during that. I will not talk the whole time. We will pray. But I've been thinking about this. You know, in Philippi, there weren't a lot of church choices. Paul addresses this to the church at Philippi. And you know, by foot, it's a long way to Corinth from Philippi. It's a long way to Thessalonica from Philippi. And in a way, these people are called to simply work it out. And I think in today's terms, when we love a church if, or we love a church because, rather than love a church period, it becomes a challenge. I really believe that if you haven't been offended in a church yet, you just haven't stuck around long enough. <laughs> okay, okay. No, I, I think this works in Meridian. <laughs> and for me personally, if you've never had ill feelings toward me, we don't know each other very well. I, I really believe that's true. I think the closer you work with someone, the more you discover that, boy, they're not exactly the image of the person that I thought they were. I like to tell married couples um, this, as well as couples in engagement counseling. You're not marrying the person that is standing before you at the altar. You're actually marrying your image of that person. They're like, oh, that's terrible. You can't say that. It's so non-romantic. Especially if they're googly-eyed, you know, engaged. <laughs> but it's true. You marry your image, your perception of who you think that person is. And as you live with them, that perception changes. And you say, this person changed. Are you with me? And, and honestly, the, the same thing happens with pastors. It, it happens among us as people who share the same boat of a church. And it gets crowded in there. And boy, what happened? And what I see Paul doing, I know it's in his context and his day and everything else. I just have a ton of admiration for people who stay with a church for 60 years. I really do. Because they put up with me for a long time. <laughs> I think that's the kind of love Paul's talking about. But do you see where it, it, it absolutely requires resolution? A resolve. A determination. And I think that's underrated in our world. Paul says rejoice. That shouldn't surprise you. You know he says it like 16 times in four chapters. Rejoice, 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 rejoice. Don't allow conflict to steal your joy. Enough said? 
because it's, it's, it, it's hard to be angry with somebody when we're rejoicing in the Lord. And when we realize, you know, he says that Yodi and Sintiki, they, they've worked together in the cause of the gospel along with people that you respect like Clement and my coworkers, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Look, he says in verse 3, these, these two who are in conflict with each other need to remember, their names are written in the book of life. That's not always something we think about, is it? The other day I was thinking about the scripture and our grandson was at our house. And I was thinking about the fact that at some point, somebody will be in conflict with him. And, and I have to tell you, I mean, his parents might tell you he's already in conflict with them. I don't know. But not with grandparents. <laughs> but as I think about that, it's hard to fathom in a way. He's so precious. He's so beautiful. He's so amazing. I want everybody to see him throughout his life the way I see him as his grandpa. And I wonder if that's how God feels when his kids fight with each other. I know how it feels as a parent to have siblings fight with each other. Look, their names are written in the book of life. Remember your connection in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Remember that as you go to work on your relationship stuff. Doesn't it make a difference? I'm so thankful your name is written in the book of life even when we don't agree with each other. I'm so thankful. How about this one, refuse to react? Verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. That word is literally the word for clemency. Show clemency to everybody. Do you know what clemency is? It's mercy. But the truth is, it, it's, a, it's a legal term in this sense. It was used in society as a legal term. So when a governor or a president in our country issues clemency, it's a pardon or a reduction of a sentence. And there's something in our human nature that just rises up and says, wait a minute. That's not fair. I think Paul's talking about two people who have hurt each other. That's the foundation. He's talking about two people who are guilty. People who have done things that are wrong to each other that they should not have done. And what does Paul say about it? Show clemency. What? I mean, doesn't that go against every part of who we are? How's that possible? Clemency. There's a part of us that doesn't like it. Jesus Christ shows clemency on the cross. Would you agree? Paul's saying, as you go to work it out, forgiveness must be your foundation. Must be. We have no business talking to each other in such a way that we want to harm each other. It's all about loving each other and building each other up. Now, the whole sermon series on reconciliation, it's a separate issue of forgiveness, right? <laughs> you don't just resume a relationship as if nothing happened. You work that out. That's more of an art than a science. But refuse to react. Don't allow someone else to control your behavior. You and I are to demonstrate to the world, evident to all, clemency. Would those who watch us deal with our enemy say, wow, they show the clemency of Jesus in their attitude? These are big challenges. 
These are absolute terms on the part of the Apostle Paul. But then he says, if you don't like that one, I know you'll like this one. Release your pain and problems into God's care. What we often do is we try to get the person who has hurt us to be responsible for our well-being. And Paul's saying, what you need to do is with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God. Do you get it? Let your gentleness be evident to people. Let your problems be released to God. And that's often not what we do. (laughs) We just want to go attack. (laughs) We don't want to spend that time in prayer and say, God, show me. Show me. I like this with Thanksgiving thing, especially with regard to conflict. What is it that you actually can appreciate about this person who has hurt you or offended you or done something that's wrong? You know, I'm imagining that at one point, Yuria and Sintiki might have been friends. I mean, they're loyal yoke fellows, in Paul's words. And at some point, you know how it goes. Our friends are the ones who disappoint us the most. If it's somebody we really didn't know, it's, it's not that big of a deal. But their conflict seems to be risen to the extent that Paul feels like it's important to say it in front of everybody. We forget what we actually like about the other person we're in conflict with, right? It ties to the next point, refocus your mind. What is it about Euodia that is true that she's trying to say to you? I don't want to deal with that because you know, I'm 95% right. She's 5% right. What's the 5%? What, what is that person saying that's true? Paul says, think about that. What is it about Euodia that's actually noble? Oh, no. <laughs> we don't want to think of this person as noble. <laughs> what, what about them is actually right? I mean, can you go back in history and give them a break? <laughs> can you think about things that you love about them and admire about them and appreciate about them? Is there anything pure about them or lovely or admirable? Because they probably have a grandparent who adores them. There's something there. And we lose track of what that is in conflict because all that we can see is the one thing, the one offense, the one conversation, the slight, the disrespect, what they owe, whatever it is. That is the thing that blinds us to what is beautiful and noble and right and good and true and pure and lovely and praiseworthy and excellent about that person or about what they are saying to us. Peacemakers have an ability in a very non-anxious way to get outside of their hurt bubble because they've surrendered that into God's care and to ask questions rather than to make demands. Can you help me understand what you're going through? Can you help me understand how I have hurt you? That's what a peacemaker does. That's what Jesus did, isn't it? That really takes some refocusing, doesn't it? And yes, I think what I'm doing is I'm calling for us to think positively 
about a person that we don't want to think positively about. But I'm also inviting us to think critically of this person. In other words, to see this person actually with accuracy. Philippians 1.9, listen to this. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern, you know what that means, to notice, to make the correct decision, what is best and may be pure and blameless. I think Paul's saying that when we don't practice love with each other, when, this is hard stuff, isn't it? When we don't do that, we're actually not accurate anymore. And the truth is, when you see a Euodia and a Sintiki who don't like each other, and they offend each other with anything they do or say or whatever, and they, and they both have a hard time getting over that, everybody else around them can see both sides, except them. And Paul's saying, I'm praying that your love abounds in knowledge so, so that you'll, you'll regain that sense of perspective. This person's name is written in the book of life. They're not all bad. <laughs> Are you with me? Feels like it. That doesn't mean that's true. That's a hard thing for us to, to refocus on. I mean, there's actually things that you can love about that person. Right? I told somebody the sermon was coming and, and, and that I'd say something like this. Euodia voted this way politically and Sintiki voted that way politically. Are you with me? I mean, this is really practical stuff for the church today. We are not united around political parties. We're united around the kingdom of God. Right? I can usually get people to agree with me on this one by saying, for the most part, somebody voted against somebody, not for somebody. And, and, and they chuckle, but it's a nervous chuckle. Really, really nervous. And I'm asking us, can we step out of that, of just I'm reacting? You said that. I'm going to listen to nothing else you say. I might physically walk out of the room. Or can we remember Christ? Can we? Will we? I think we have to. Paul says we're to shine like stars in the universe. We're, we're to be a witness to reconciliation. We're to be a witness to people who agree in Jesus, not agree on other stuff. Is that, is that a bridge too far? Are you still okay? This is my prayer that your love may abound actually in knowledge and depth of insight. It might surprise you so that you may be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless. Really beware of what unresolved conflict and unwillingness to work on it. And beware of the ways that it impacts you. I want to see the world with accuracy, don't you? I mean, if everybody else sees something that I don't want to see, that, that I can't see because I don't want to see it, I want to know. We need each other. Finally, we're to reflect Christ in this world, which I just mentioned. But it's interesting, Paul in Philippians 4.9 repeats what he was talking about in Philippians 3 at the end when he said, 
all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. If on some point you think differently, God's going to make that clear to you. Drop your shoulders and shrug them and, oh, that's good news. You mean it's not my responsibility to make sure you're right? Can, can physically shrug your shoulders? I mean, that's a big deal. God's going to talk to you. I love that. <laughs> when you pray and you pray with thanksgiving about a conflict, you can say, God, you've got a big problem. <laughs> Good thing. If, if you think differently, God will make it clear to you. But let us live up to what we have already obtained. And he says, join together in following my example, brother and sisters, just as you have us as a model. So we talked about models versus manuals last week. And he brings it right up here again in Philippians 4.9 in the context of you guys get along with each other and start changing the way you look at the world. It's whatever you've learned or received or heard from me. What a bold statement for Paul. It kind of puts a big burden on the shoulder of leaders, doesn't it? But aren't we all leaders? Aren't people watching us? Your kids are watching you. Your neighbors are watching you. They probably know you're at church right now. They want to know if your faith shows up in your attitude and your words and your clemency. Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord, thank you that you alone are the Prince of Peace. Teach us, we pray, how to do better. Thank you that all of us are faulty, we're frail, we're incomplete, we're so in need of your clemency, we're so in need of your mercy, and we remember today that on the cross, you took all of our shame, every bit of it. And Lord, as we simply come clean, as we confess, as we offer ourselves to you, we don't need to carry our sin anymore. Jesus, I pray that this can translate into our practical conversations, our relationships with one another. God, how I pray for families that are in crisis, especially. Lord, give wisdom beyond the circumstance. Teach us, Lord, how to not allow other people control that we would react as puppets. But, Lord, help us instead act in love with you in charge. Jesus, we want to be a witness to this community. We want to bring hope. We want to bring life. That's why we're here. So help us practice and live up to what it is we already know. Lord, we surrender our need to change other people. We just let that go. We give that into your care. We pray that we may do everything we are called to do in love and in truth, with grace, without compromise. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with us for a closing song?